From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, laugh together, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here's your host, Eric Wakeling. All right, welcome to the Calvary Life Podcast. We were here just talking with Chris about social justice and the gospel as we were looking at some of the lower shelf books uh, on my bookshelf that that had uh, maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah, some award winners didn't, over here. Didn't yeah. uh, stand the test of time theologically. And um, kind of like we we're remembering this era of where social justice, kind of some of these things of thinking about that over the gospel, just the centrality of the truth of scripture. And like, so we just had coolest conversation here with Matt Doan and Chris Plant. And just what were you, uh, what are some of your thoughts about that time? Yeah. I mean, well, one of those books, yeah, like I said earlier, the, <laughs> I had a friend like introduce me and well, this is amazing. It's going to change your life. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, yeah, as you get into it, you realize, wait a minute, there's some, maybe some red flags in this, but right. I think, I think the emotional appeal of, of wanting us to be Christ to the world and being, you know, that, um, that social justice aspect is huge, but, uh, yeah. you know, unfortunately with those books, there was some other stuff left out. It's such an interesting thing, right? Like even Don, like for you, like, cause uh-huh. you've been like our local reach pastor for a long time and we have a heart for social justice. We have a heart for justice to be made in the world for God's justice. Yeah. But then sometimes it's like, how does that, it's interesting how the enemy can skew something, right? Can skew something good. I don't know. What do you think about that, Don? Yeah, I mean, well, and within any early movement, there's always going to be some outliers or some extremes. And so it felt like maybe like when we were all coming out of Biola, we're all fellow Biola alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It was this idea of like, okay, we've been we haven't focused on reaching the poor like we could. So let's let's focus on that. So all these youth pastors, young guys, were jumping towards that, but then yeah. we were kind of forgetting about oh, but. Christ is the ultimate solution to all yes. of this too. And so yeah, the pendulum swung this way. It did. It was like it left Jesus out. Yeah. To like but yet the core is to be Jesus. So yeah, yeah it was interesting in those books. It, it provided some great conversation and um I liked ultimately what Francis Chan ended up doing cuz I mean he kind of left out of that but then really brought Christ with the the peace for poverty and social justice which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So it's it's interesting. So today we have with us Chris Plant who is um he's a guy who has an MA in apologetics and is also a teacher at Calvary Christian School teaching Bible, teaching worldview, teaching apologetic stuff yeah, to yeah. for eighth graders we do apologetics. Yeah, to eighth graders. And so you're he's dealing with that and it's like as we were talking about some of even coming out of seminary and in these years of just hey wow like it's trying to process what is kind of trending in the world right and then how that comes into the church and how a lot of times there's a lot of good i mean we like even through some of that stuff we're talking about about social justice we're recognizing if if the church was just a place of imparting information and not actually seeing any life transformation or helping the poor if we've abandoned jesus's call to care for the poor or something like that like well then we're doing wrong we need to adjust but like that pole pendulum swing thing and mm-hmm. i'm sure then working with middle schoolers yep. you're you're starting to see the pendulum swing of the world you know <laughs> absolutely yeah, and they, you know, they have a crazy life, man. But um, and it's exciting for this Maven conference coming up that Calvary's doing because I see technology as really the centerpiece for this pendulum swinging for what they're where they get their information, where they're spending yeah. their time. Yeah, absolutely. That Maven conference. So uh, when this will, when you will, this will release, and you'll hear this will just be like two days before the Maven conference. So just really like encourage everyone to check this out. Yes. How do you navigate screens with your kids or or young people that you have an influence? Right. Over. Yeah. Um, so like, okay. So you, you have this whole thing where you went to, you know, you went to seminary, you did this whole thing. And like, did you ever think this is what I was going to do even was to teach school? Was that, Uh, you know, teaching? Yes. Middle schoolers. No, this was something that God (laughs) totally, totally, uh, yeah. Brought into my way. Cause I, I, I definitely, uh, my undergrad was in biblical studies. So I love studying God's word and went to Biola because I was passionate about that. And then I got into uh, apologetics for graduate work. And so um, I never saw myself uh, as a as a, you know, like a full on pastoral role because I'm like the whole like Mary Berry thing, like counsel. That's not me. My (laughs) wife, she's a counselor. She like she loves it. For me, that wasn't my passion. My passion was really just the teaching aspect. Yeah. yeah. So I was kind of seeing myself go towards either some form of education. I wasn't sure what that was. And God kind of took me on a weird journey. So um but yeah, it's it's 
I never thought I would enjoy this age as much as I have been hmm. um, because it just I didn't know what to expect. Actually, you know, it had been a while since even when I helped out in church, it was mainly high school or college group, right. you know, mm-hmm. at Biola or in grad school. And so working with junior hires just hadn't been really much in my wheelhouse. Yep. And I think um, when God brought me back to Calvary here, uh, it was I was pleasantly surprised at just the the level of the critical thinking skills. Ah. And part of the idea of going into the kind of changing up the curriculum was just the fact that, man, I, I couldn't even do a sixth grade math problem probably right now. I mean, the, <laughs> the type of work that they do, it's crazy. It is and I'm intense. like, but then at the same time, you know, I don't know if we were always stretching them theologically and like worldview thinking to the capabilities that they have. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of saw this red flag where I was just kind of like, Yes, we, we uh, obviously spiritual development and Bible memory verses, those things are all key. Yep. But they're wrestling with really big current event topics, issues. And I don't know if the curriculum has really been there for them like mm. I feel like they could have been challenged to. And so that was kind of really eye opening for me working with this age group and saying, hey, you guys can handle way more and you guys are super smart. Mm. And, and right now, what you're dealing with online and yeah. with friends and with, with, with culture is far more advanced issues than we had when we were in middle school. Right. So, Well, I can even say as a parent of a couple of students that have been through your program, you are an excellent teacher and you're doing a great job oh, with our students here at Calvary Christian School. Um, what was your junior high experience like? Did you have any of this worldview training or no, what? So like I actually was, I got saved when I was in eighth grade. So I accepted Christ when I was in eighth grade. And my parents had put me and my sister in a parochial school, seventh and eighth grade. So I was kind of, didn't know really know doctrinally what was going on. I was getting kind of this Catholic education, but I was going to Calvary Chapel. And so, yeah, I didn't have a whole lot of worldview necessarily training in that. Um, uh, just real quick, a little bit about my background. Yeah. The, um, my, wasn't raised in a Christian family. When I was in uh fifth grade, my father was in uh, an accident that actually left him paralyzed. So he was um, he was in a pretty severe accident where he almost lost his life. And so as a family, I think God kind of used this situation to really think about like, you know, not only why did this happen to me, but why, why didn't something worse? Why didn't I right. pass away? And I think my right. parents wrestled with these issues of, of um, you know, spiritually where we stood. And luckily we had a neighbor next door that had been inviting my sister and I to wanna groups oh, and wow. got us involved in the church. And what area were you? Where, we were in there? Northern California, okay. in the Bay Area. Oh, real quick. Oh, so dear. Northern California oh, is dear. that, as in like the Oakland A's area <laughs> so of the world. This is one of my lone Oakland A's yeah. friends at Calvary Church, saw, Calvary exactly. Christian School. I'm very I thankful for this. Oh I yeah, I went. I, I got to go as a kid to Jose Canseco baseball <laughs> camp. Jose Canseco. Oh yeah, I met Walt Weiss and Walt Mike Weiss. Gallego. Well, we can incredible. tell why you didn't have any good understanding of worldview with yeah, those mentors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was really confused during that time. Yeah, the Bay Area was a crazy place anyway. That's yeah, true. It was a very crazy uh, place. Back to your story. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, my parents, my sister all accepted Christ. I was kind of the knucklehead that waited till I was in eighth grade a couple years later. But mm. so, yeah, I wouldn't say any real formal, you know, world food training at, at that age. And um, I would say in high school, you know, you, you wrestle through those issues and, and just being a newer believer, you know, trying to work through. And I was already at that age, just wanting to share Christ and not knowing. I remember being pulled in the back room with my physics teacher about like the second law of thermodynamics. I barely even knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I was just like, I heard this once from, I think, Josh McDowell, <laughs> and I'm going to use this. And and so I just kind of limped my way, Great. you know, through high school. But was Do you uh, have a little of that like argumentative side? Oh, absolutely. I think every <laughs> everybody that takes apologetics is I I know could you, be a lawyer yeah you're either going to be a lawyer or an apologist right. or for, both. for many both right <laughs> yeah I think most well, of the ones I know are both last week on the podcast we just had uh, John and Lori Stewart who are married and are both lawyers and oh, yeah. are both apologetics yep. speakers and so and go to here to Calvary but, I know yeah. I think you got to have a little bit of that yeah a, I know, a little I bit it. of that in you but um you know hopefully with a good heart to try and <laughs> yeah convert people right or so you've been yeah so that's cool though but you were already kind of having a passion for that in high school absolutely and a passion mm-hmm. for evangelism yeah um, and so okay so what are you seeing then in you know your work with kids it's, it's great to hear since both matt and i have uh 
you know, middle schoolers, right? Or whatever. Or yeah. <laughs> to hear yeah. that they're smarter than you think they were. But uh, <laughs> they are. They are. But, uh, but what are you seeing maybe just in this age group of kind of what are some of the, the issues that are rising to the surface yeah. that you guys are discussing in your classes? Yeah, today, you know, even today we had, we had a bit of discussion on this on kind of um, Christian particularism, you know, the fact that, you know, there's, there's this idea in culture that, um, that Christians, you know, will promote the fact that Jesus is the only way for salvation, and this is a real arrogant position. And I would mm-hmm. say that there's this kind of attack on them as believers, even as young as elementary, let alone middle school, or that, you know, you're holding these very arrogant views and how dare you, you know, right. in a world of acceptance. We're in such a world of of acceptance when it comes to specifically to religious beliefs. Yeah. And so I think we try to wrestle with that, you know, and talk about that. Um, even in eighth grade, we've been going over some comparative religions and showing, hey, do you know, like, you know, Buddhists believe you should believe this way. Right. And, and Muslims believe you should. Everyone has. They're particular as well. Absolutely. About, you know, yeah. Absolutely. And so has Christians maybe done a poor job in our responsibility and being loving and caring in that? Maybe. But, mm-hmm. but that just because someone has a particular attitude, it doesn't necessarily invalidate that viewpoint yet. Right. right. And mm-hmm. so. Oh, right. Because if someone expresses that Christianity is the only way in a, in a bad way, absolutely. you mean, so someone does a bad, they're kind of a jerk about it. They're exactly. arrogant about it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. Or no, but it, <laughs> it does look bad on, on part yes. of the Christians if they're acting that way. But we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, I asked them what they believe tolerance means because, you know, that's kind of gotten a redefinition in our culture sure, today. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we broke down the definition, I'm like, you, you realize that the whole world tolerate needs two people to disagree for that for the definition of that word to even take place. Yeah. You know, you've hmm. got to have disagreement in order to have, but our world won't allow that. Right. And so how do you guys navigate being, you know, you know, committed to your faith and want to be intellectual in that dialogue, right? And, right? and be able to defend yourself and also provide reasons for why you believe in a way that, um, in a world that doesn't want to hear that, hmm. that only wants kind of this blanket acceptance of everyone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's tough I, I, at, for them. I mean, in this culture right now, that's a, that's it a is. tough thing. It really is tough. Like mm-hmm. I remember back in, I think it was like in a Biola chapel I was in, in like 95, I think it was Josh McDowell actually that came in and was saying tolerance, you know, and I think it was his spiel will be the new word will be the new yeah. word of the decade. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about that. Yeah. And I think it was kind of something he was go- taking around to every yeah. you know, college or wh- wherever he'd speak at, that that's going to be the thing. And so to look back 25 yeah, years, multiple decades, you were right, now. Josh. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And yeah. so to see how much that has impacted and I, and, and that tolerance thing is really like, I think pervasive in, in every sort of issue, if especially social issues, mm-hmm. right. When it comes to oh, young absolutely. people, um, do you guys get into social issues much in the classroom? Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, uh, I would like to do it even more, but obviously when, when things in, you know, current, current topics come up and, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, you know, it's scary. Cause I know as parents and my, mine's in, my oldest is in fifth grade. And so I'm like, I already got to have the trans talk and I've got to right, have like right, this type yeah. of thing. Yep. And it's like, you know, we can't as Christians just bury our heads. No. And, and the fact that my middle schoolers and what's crazy is they're, they're unsure if they can talk about it. Cause it's like a hallway talk, but it's yep. like, can we bring this in? I'm like, absolutely. This is the place for it guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, if we don't do this now, when you're surrounded by people that love you and that can direct you in a proper way, I don't know what's going to happen for, yep. you know, even at Calvary here, we have, you know, with just with the, with uh, the pricing of school nowadays, we're seeing more and more of our kids going to public schools. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you've got, you know, as much as Biola was for us back in the day for high school now, right. yeah. a lot of pa- families just can't, you know, they can't afford that. And so what type of environment are they going to in classroom when they do have to engage these ideas? Mm-hmm. And um, are they prepared to, mm-hmm. to be able to have that? You know? Yeah, wow. Yeah, and that means talking about public schools too. A lot of our listeners have kids in public schools, whether it's elementary, junior high, or high school. Any books that you read here at Calvary Christian or books that you've come across that are helpful for students? Even, hey, here's something that will help equip you in this era that we're living in right now. Any books come to mind? Absolutely. Well, uh, in our classroom, we both still love, even though it's it's a little bit dated now, Lee Strobel's Case for Faith, Case for Christ. Mm-hmm. He just does a great job in the student editions. Mm-hmm. And parents can get those super cheap on Amazon. Hmm. Um, we have them in our bookstore here. Yep. And so they're, they're a great way. We actually read a chapter today on... on um, intolerance on this exact topic. Oh, okay, wow. So it's kind of, that's kind of funny. Uh, maybe that was in the back of my mind. That's yeah, why we brought sure. it. I don't know. Um, but then, um, 
uh, which is great. Obviously, I was just introduced to Natasha Crane's book. Yeah, um, as, yeah absolutely. And uh, as I just spoke in the series that we had here, Tough Questions, Confident Answers. And th- I think she's done an amazing job. So as a, if for a parent who just wants to learn how to navigate this, she just crushed it on that book. Like mm. It was really, really well done. So mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, so, so those check. are some good starts yeah. for yeah, sure. That's great. Uh, for doctrinal issues, I still use um, Big Truth for Young Hearts by Bruce Ware. He was the former president of uh, Evangelical Theological Society, and he does a great job of just introducing kind of the basics of core doctrine, and that's the book I still use in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, your daughter used it last year, yeah. your son's using mm-hmm. it this year. Yep. And I think great. that's a good one for kind of the fundamental like core doctrines of Christianity, what we believe and why we believe them. Okay. So I think those that's are good great. starts. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. That's great. Okay. So do you think, uh, what else? Do you think there's any other sort of like topics that are like the the hot things that for kids right now, for, for young people, let's say, that like even as parents are kind of preparing themselves for, not just a general apologetics issue, but just maybe even as young people that you're talking about with them? Yeah, there's, man, I try to think about our classroom conversations because it's new stuff. I'm sure it's all, all over the place, right? Yeah, it's all the time. And in middle school, they're at that age, you know, sixth or eighth grade, where they're just, they're at that point where they're just trying to understand the world and and for the first time, maybe accept that they might disagree with their parents. Right. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. and so it's like what I try to, I don't know if there's one particular mm-hmm. thing, what I've always, what I think parents should do and what I honestly try to do in my classroom is provide an atmosphere where we just bring up the ideas and allow them to wrestle through. Um, You know, it's kind of the classic Socratic idea, right? Which is like, you know, Socrates basically, you know, the Socratic method was basically something where he had his students really engage on the topic and he kind of just sat back and let them kind of discover, you know, there's a part of education where discovery they find is the best. And so it's like, let's just you know, talk about some of these things for those, you know, whether, whatever it is, you know, who in here has a friend or family member that doesn't know Jesus? What are some of the conversations at Christmas mm-hmm. or at Thanksgiving that you guys want to talk about? Like, what are some things where you got stumped and you weren't sure? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so I think for parents, you know, your kids are going to be, they're going to go through a lot of different things in our culture right now that's going to be thrown at them. The biggest thing is, can they critically think through an issue, even if they don't know about the topic? Right. And that's one thing I try to tell my students, like, you're going to be exposed to arguments that Mr. Plant's never taught you before, because I don't even know them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's going to be new. Th- but can you just step back and see, is this emotional? Is it philosophically logical? Is there something that breaks down? Because they're at that stage where their critical thinking skills, at least in middle school. And if you're a parent of a high schooler, then obviously it's even better mm-hmm. if you can just teach them, you know, to really love God with all their mind, right? Like yeah. if they can really do that and that starts with just basic kind of logic and breaking down things, yep. then I think regardless of the issue, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, obviously the hot button issues are, you know, transgenderism and abortion as far as like yep. kind of sexuality. public moral sexuality is a yep. big thing. Um, at, and they're just trying to understand that, like, yep. what do we, what do we do with these arguments? My friend says they're born with it. The friends, my church says they're not, they're just like, okay, let's just find what's important. Yeah. That's fine. And let's see how we can lovingly share Jesus in the midst of really difficult hot button issues. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We've had a lot of sort of, uh, even in our house, like some, so why do you think that? Like, yeah, sure. you know, because as a question and it's, and it's interesting because sometimes, you know, there's like basically there's no, there's no answer. And so that, that, but that's an answer and it's kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, let's, this is important then for you to think through of why you do think that. Right. And so like, I, I'd love to like, let's have a talk about yeah. why we think this, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. And your girls are older, so I need to, they are older. To, I'm going to be learning from you. <laughs> no, but I think like, that's how a, did this go? it's a good point about yeah. when do we preach uh-huh. <laughs> or teach our own kids and kids around us that we have influence on? And when do we initiate discussion and even just help them find and discover yep. truth together. So yeah, that's a really unique point. Mm. We're here with the Socrates of Calvary Christian yeah, School. Yeah, right. There you uh, go. <laughs> Chris Plant. Uh, Chris, yeah. I know too, on a slightly different topic, but still related, um, you even have a heart to share the gospel with Muslims. You had some experience over in the Middle East. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And in, in Orange County, we're now, it's it's not uncommon to have a Muslim friend. So no, not at all. How would you call us to engage? Gosh, I wish I would have brushed up on that because yeah, and when I was in uh, when I was in my undergraduate, um, I had some friends that were really passionate about it, um, and uh, some that are still you know still overseas, and you know um, Ryan Keating, and uh, he's over there, and yeah. in Cyprus, I believe now, and so I still keep in contact with him on Facebook and see what he's up to, but mm-hmm. you know he really had a heart for Turkey. 
And so we had an opportunity to speak with him and he kind of trained us up on that. And so we spent about uh, five or six weeks in Istanbul and down in Izmir, which is right next to Ephesus. And so, and God was just, that was just a crazy trip. I mean, literally uh, we went with, uh, I went with some friends, we walk on to you're like 21 uh, years old at this dude, point. I'm, yeah, I, if I'm trying to remember. This was my undergrad. So I was like, yeah, not even that. I think I was like wow. 20. Wow. And um, we go there and we're, we walk onto the University of Istanbul, which I believe is over 100,000 kids that go there. So, wow. you know, we think like San Diego State or Cal State Fullerton's a lot. Like, this is nothing. Yes. They direct us where the English department is. We walk in. They're just the cool thing, you know, that that God it's what's what you probably know this is as an American, you're kind of like a rock star, you know, in a way. And it's really weird. You are intriguing to people, but you're intriguing to people. And it's like, and especially in Turkey, it's not a place they might get a lot of Germans that come through, but not that many Americans. So we were just treated like, like movie stars mm-hmm. and we were invited right in the classroom and it's like, you guys can say whatever you want. We literally, <laughs> wild? Yeah. it was insane. Yeah. And we brought <laughs> can you over imagine doing that in your classroom here today. <laughs> I know. Just come on in. Yeah. And it was just nuts. And we brought over 65 college kids to church wow. to hear the gospel for the first oh, time, wow. you know, in a 99% Muslim. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. So I learned there, I had a friend named Josh Lingle who started the Islamic apologetics class at, at, at uh, Talbot Biola. Okay. And learn from him on that. And yeah, just had some great experiences, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, we would just drive down Brookhurst and mm-hmm. we would just stop at places and just start. I remember back, back here then, in Anaheim. Yeah. Yeah. Right here in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And we would just go into some falafel joint and they'd be playing yeah. bridge. And then we would just start, you know, talking to him about, you know, Jesus and learning kind of the, awesome. that yeah, it was really, really cool. And so, yeah, the kids love hearing about, you know, those experiences, that type of stuff is fun for them. And we just, mm. we did Islam about a week ago and I was like, I wish we could spend more time on it. Cause I'd love to get back in and study totally. it again because it's been a while. Right. Huh. But they're just, um, you know, one thing that's great about Islamic apologetics is in a, in a culture that's really, we just talked about kind of just relativistic kind of everyone. One great thing about Muslims is, is they very much are an intellectual logic based. They want to argue the facts and historical mm. evidence. And so it's actually, I was telling our kids uh, here at Calvary, that it's actually for those of you that have friends that are, that are, um, that, you know, that are followers of Islam, like it's actually a lot fa- easier to communicate mm. with them mm. on these because they actually like to engage in intellectual right. dialogue. They like, they're very passionate about it too. They love mm-hmm. to argue mm. right. and their culture is just very much like wanting to find the truth. And they actually respect that passion, mm. you know, instead of you can get so easily dismissed as just like, well, that's your truth and this is my truth and yeah. we all have our own truths right. and that person's like so hard to connect with yep. because, yeah. Well, that religious just, pluralism is just huge in the United States yeah. and, mm-hmm. and that's what's kind of, even though they're different, that's what's refreshing about talking to a Muslim right. is the fact that they're willing to actually engage in intellectual thought and they're, you know, just like with mathematics and science, there's truth and religion, there's truth. Yeah. And, and what's for some reason in America, we don't, we just don't, when it comes to politics, morality and religion, yeah. you know, there's no absolutes and, but with math and science and history, then there's, it's like, it's really weird. Well, maybe that can encourage some people just that, Hey, sometimes, and, and to continue then to still do that with love and grace. And, Absolutely. And, uh, but like to engage with that, that neighbor that you might have and invite yeah. them over for tea and just hang out yeah. and they actually really... Oh, like, they actually enjoy, enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. They, yeah. Often, I think our biggest obstacle to sharing Christ, whether it's with someone that believes something different than us or we don't even know where they stand, is just even like, how do you bring up spiritual conversation yeah. with people in your everyday life? And I know. I don't know if you've had experiences or thoughts on that, but then probably even the second obstacle is fear, right? So even if I do manage to bring up something, yeah. they're going to ask me a question about Jesus that I just don't know how to under, I don't know how to unpack. Right. So like what how do you address those two objections or, or the the fear or then bringing up even Jesus normal conversation like Yeah. Well, I'm uh, have to admit I'm terrible at it. I need to do it a lot more. We all are. You know, yeah. like cuz cuz to be honest it's I think God provides so many opportunities for us and so yeah, I I tell my kids like the biggest thing again is you don't have to understand the answers to everything. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus comes up in a conversation with your sports team or a Cub Scouts or wherever it is, mm-hmm. um, 
uh, I shared with him um, uh, the video of uh, Greg Kokel's tactics. Have you guys familiar mm-hmm. with that? Yeah. And he does a great job of just, he talks about the Columbo, you know, uh, effect, which is basically just questions, asking mm-hmm. questions. And I'm like, <laughs> and so I was, I was showing him this, this tactic to the kids. I'm like, you can get a long way with just asking questions. Number right. one, it's non-threatening. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about offending your friend. Really? Mm-hmm. How did you come to that conclusion? Right. Mm-hmm. Where, did, exactly. where did you get that from? Again, you could do this with anyone and it's it's going to it's going to do a couple things. It's going to really unpack if they even have a, a really fit worldview or argument sure. on it or if they're just spitting some emotional, you know, um, slogan that they've heard, right. which is right. pretty typical for high school kids, yeah. too. And for them is a lot of it is these slogans that they believe to be true. And it's just like, let them unpack it. You don't have to know the answers because by asking the questions, sometimes it'll just yeah. it'll go mm-hmm. that way. So I think asking questions is a great yeah. way, because, again, you're just it's showing that you're wanting to get to know what they really think, which mm. obviously we all feel valuable. We don't like that friend that never, you know, never, never right. wa- wants to just completely talk and never ask anything about you. Sure. Exactly. So you automatically are going to be on a good foot forward because you're 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 really wanting to engage and you're you're wanting to know. So yeah. they're going to put their guard down. And then it also, you know, many times it's going to expose the flaws and of their logic and the way that they're thinking by just mm-hmm. asking questions. Mm-hmm. And oh, then that's so helpful. I think it is. And I think that for kids that are intimidated or even for adults, for those of us that don't, I mean, I don't, I have so many friends that are so above me. I can't even, I'm like, I, I have to go research. I know there's an answer, yeah, but I know by asking questions, maybe I can, yeah. you know, get a little <laughs> bit more and, and really see if you even understand everything you're saying. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's good. He continues to be the Socrates, Don. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. No, that's right. Uh, but, uh, okay, so let's talk just a little bit, like, kind of beyond the middle school w- realm, right? So, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and just into even as, as some of your training with, with apologetics and, and just considering about, like, why do we believe these things that we believe? And, you know, what's, like, one of these issues that you think is, like, most crucial for Christians to have a little bit of an understanding of um, more? Sure. I think probably two big ones. One would be really understanding um, the reliability of the Bible. Yeah. I think I think we just kind of like some Christians just don't know what to think. And they're just like, well, the Holy Spirit just, you know, magically protected it. <laughs> right. And yep. I don't that's the best answer. And that's the only answer I need to give. Yep. And it's like so I think that that could be something that that they can study up on. Mm-hmm. And then the resurrection, um, yeah. which, you know, not just because I just taught here last week at Calvary or the week, two weeks ago, but because, you know, Paul in first Corinthians 15 basically throws the gauntlet down and says, you know, if this didn't happen, like we're the most to be pitied, like Mm -hmm. basically like, you know, Christianity is a joke. We're all liars. I mean, basically in a nutshell, that's what he does. So he, he basically hinges the validity of Christianity on a historical event that Mm -hmm. we can investigate and find out about. Mm -hmm. And so I think for a Christian, um, to understand the facts at least that, um, you know, we, in apologetics, we, we try to teach, like, you can never prove anybody anything. Yeah. All, all apologetics is, is a tool that the Holy Spirit used to mm. knock down walls and roadblocks that wow. people can have. Wow. And ultimately, it's always the Holy Spirit. It's yeah. always going to be the Holy Spirit that's the one drawing them, that's using this. And so, but if you could, if you can study up on a couple things, mm-hmm. I would say those, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, if you can show that. I'm not trying to prove to you anything, but if I can just explain to you that this looks like the most plausible outcome, right. then I think that uh, those are kind of two good areas for a Christian to really look into. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the resurrection a little bit then. What do you think are, what are some of the, the big objections that people have to believing in the resurrection of Christ? Well, I think we live in this, you know, we post-hume world where anything supernatural is yep. sketchy, sure. right? He doesn't mean post-hume lake, everyone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Means... Sorry. Not uh, hume. <laughs> Dave, Those are some good, uh, good times I had at Hume Lake. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, David Hume, philosopher who yes. kind of brought up the supernatural kind of bias right. in our country. Enlightenment yep. era, that, all that stuff. Exactly. Right? Okay. And, he, and basically, you know, in this world of kind of science is all that there is that anytime supernatural claims are made, you know, the skeptic's going to have a hard time. Yep. Yep. So, you know, with the issue of the resurrection, that's going to be their biggest thing. There must have been lying. They must have, you know, 
brought, you know, and especially we're kind of in the super age of conspiracy theories. So it's like they just wanted power and they wanted they wanted to create a new world order. And I'm like, for what? To get like thrown to lions and like lit on fire? Like what? What kind of a power and authority yes, trip are they right. on? That New World Order power thing happened like hundreds of years later, maybe yeah, right? sure. with post-Constantine. Kind exactly. Of, yeah. But but it, it was it was mm-hmm. it but, was yeah, what did the original of destruction. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, what did they get to gain out of this? You know, <laughs> right. So I think that and I think that's it. I don't th- you know, I think it's easy first for a lot of skeptics to just say, oh, that's supernatural. That's a crazy story that didn't happen. And then for some Christians just kind of think, oh yeah, maybe they're right. And it's like, but Mm -hmm. wait a minute, did you invest? Like what's most plausible? Mm -hmm. You know, we just want to figure out if we're looking at any historical event in any, in any, like what makes the most sense, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you just like unbiasedly just lay down those, I mean, yes, you're still dealing with a, a, an outcome that's a supernatural outcome. Yeah. But it, does that make more sense than these kind of conspiracy theories that right. are unvalidated by anything we know in history? Yeah. And I would say that that's, that's a, you know. Well, let me play skeptic. So what if what if Jesus was only mostly dead, Chris? Like, I mean, he was, <laughs> yeah. you know, like he wasn't, you know, like he was just sort of like beat up really bad. And he was kind of unconscious. Yep. They buried him on an accident. And then he woke up and was like, let me out of here, man. Like, what? Absolutely. Why, why not that? Yeah. And then, and just in that moment, just in that struggle, he had enough weight to, you know, strength to lift a 2000 pound rock yes. up and out of the way. Yeah. And then somehow convince his disciples that he's this conquering king over sin and death as he's like. <laughs> bleeding out he's like spewing blood out and yeah so that doesn't seem to work and you know one one really interesting fact um and uh a lot of this for parents out there listening if you want to watch any you know all calvary people get um access to right now media Mm -hmm. i would highly recommend looking at jay warner wallace's stuff the cold case christianity is really good sean mcdowell obviously does an amazing job Uh, one minute apologist on there. There's a lot of really great yeah, these stuff. Were, there's some new videos even just came out like this week, I think, with some of those one minute apologist kind there of is. videos. Yeah. There is. And so. also Dr. Craig videos just came out with a couple more too. Okay. So uh, those are great. I um there's a new one he just came out with on um those that have never heard the gospel. Like what is what is God? Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. those are big some of these questions. hard questions. And yeah. those are really junior high questions too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And youth and mm-hmm. youth. So but um, where were we going with this? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. You were playing a skeptic. Yeah, Eric's yeah. the skeptic <laughs> questioning you on the resurrection. Right. So, sorry. Um, one one fact that Jay Warner Wallace brought up that I thought was really good, and we talked about it a few weeks ago here, was uh, the instance of blood and water coming out after Jesus was stabbed. Yeah. So, regardless, you know, and, and if you were as a skeptic, uh, regardless <laughs> if you don't hold that the scriptures are inspired in the word of God, as a historical document, even secular archaeologists utilize the gospels yeah. as a great resource, right? Yeah. So if we're just looking at it simply just from a historical point of view, they call this the minimal facts approach in apologetics, but okay. something that both skeptics and and Christians can agree upon can, yeah. as far as the evidence, common right? Ground. The common yeah. ground. So yeah. we're not in some argument about, you know, inspiration of scripture. Okay. But, you know, it records that blood and water came out after he was stabbed. Mm-hmm. And um, one insight that was brought up by J. Wonder Wallace was that they wouldn't for another thousand years know the biological aspects of what happens during cardiac arrest. Oh, that's interesting. It's something called infusion that happens around the lungs and the heart mm-hmm. where water is held after cardiac arrest and death. Yep. And um, and Jerry Warner Wallace knew this because he was a homicide inve- uh, investigator. And yeah. so when he oh. went into the morgue, they, he, he would actually see this. Hmm. And so he brought that up and I was like, wow, that's a really cool fact. And and it's not like John or Luke could have just, even Luke as a doctor, it wouldn't have right. known this. And yeah. so, in fact, and we know that this is kind of weird because like Clement of Rome and um, some of the early church fathers, they tried this weird spiritual hermeneutic because they didn't know what why the gospel writers would put blood and water. They thought maybe water was referring to baptism mm-hmm. and blood. Would sa- so even the early church fathers were unsure why this was there. So it wasn't like this automatic understanding of this medical condition. Yep, yep. And so we know, you know, obviously uh, a thousand years later in medical research, they realized that that, you know, would have been in a confirmed death, you know, like uh-huh. that, that would have shown that. So there's interesting facts like that, that come up. Right. Cause then that's being written without a sense of bias or trying to prove something. It's right. just, Hey, these are just the he facts. Have of, known. These are, it's just an observation. Yeah. It's yeah. just an observation. If anything, they thought he was crazy. Like, what is he trying to, you know, that doesn't really fit the genre, right? It's like historical narrative, but yeah. then he's thrown in some sure. like sim- symbolism. Like, so it didn't make sense, but now of course it does. And it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And so the whole thing of, but 
I mean, the disciples probably just like made it all up. You know, I mean, they could have just like made up. This was just like a lie. A giant kinda. conspiracy. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and you know, and that's uh, another thing that I teach the kids. I showed that series on um, on Cold Case and they they love the fact that it's like a cop up there talking about it. You know, they can get into that. Yeah. But, you know, he brings up what happens with conspiracy theories. Number one, you have to have a really close unit of people, like yep. two people max. Mm-hmm. Right. And in this, you have not just disciples that were there in the upper room, but you have the whole other side there too. Remember they picked Matthias out of it. So you have sure. that. Right. Then you have like over, Paul talks about over 500 different witnesses yep. um, over like a 30 day span in different spots at different times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to deal with that. That's definitely within, doesn't work. Like, yeah. Well, it's like right within, you said within 30 days, you've got 500 people in yep. on a conspiracy. Right. Yeah. In on a conspiracy. And then the second <laughs> no thing. No one broke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The second thing is you need excellent communication. It's not like they had texting back then. Right. right, right. So it's like, how does Matthew know what's going on? And I think, what was he, North Africa or whatever? And then, like, yeah. you know, how as one guy's getting tortured over here, how do you yep. know he's not spilling the beans to these guys over here, yep. right? That we're, oh, we're just making this all up. It's a giant lie. We stole the body, you know? Yep. Uh-huh. And so you also have to have, you know, besides excellent communication, you you, you don't want a lot of pressure. If you put somebody in a pressure situation, they'll usually snap and break. break right? yeah. Well, what did the disciples go through? I mean, I yep. don't. I can't think no, of any more pressure than being crucified and yep. boiled in oil and right. thrown to the lions, tortured, <laughs> tortured, you know, and in motive. So like, what are you even getting out of it? Right. To yeah. be able to make all this up. Yeah. It's just and, and why, at the why, time. And why continue it? I mean, like, uh, yeah. you know, and so it just doesn't make when you look at the, at the disciples lives, it just nobody would go through that. Somebody would have broke. And what's crazy is we have a lot of external non-biblical sources that talk about the fact that Jesus was in fact a real person mm-hmm. and was crucified. Why do we not have one non-Christian source talk about, they just fabricated this whole lie. All of us were laughing about these guys. We oh, all knew it was good. a big joke. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like you can find five non-Christian sources that can document that he existed and was crucified, but you can't find anything that this was fabricated yeah. at all. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's pretty crazy. That's, that's very mm-hmm. significant. And you even think then, you know, I even think like with how they would break and Judas as the betrayer, he broke like instantly on the other, the other way Absolutely. Like to try yeah. and go in on betraying Christ. And it's just like, nah, I can't do this. And, right. uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I know. I'm like, am I forgetting all of the, all my classic, uh, <laughs> so you're, yeah, you're this, putting me on the spot. I yeah. mean, it's kind of lie theory, but too, like the stolen body theory. That yeah. They, yeah. Hallucinations. Yeah. Uh, you know, I forget we were just talking about your bad shelf, all the Dominic lacrosse and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. That he's just a person, you know, like he's yeah. this sort of historical person, but none of this stuff really. Right. Although the miraculous stuff didn't really happen. That's a faith statement. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Remember to that? say that would be a faith statement. Right. Or, oh, the, yeah. Remember him from back then? Yeah. Yes. And that's one thing that, you know, I try to tell the kids like, Biblical faith is not blind faith. Sure. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere in scripture that we see biblical faith is this blind faith. Yep. So, I mean, you know, and I had uh, Dr. Mike Wilkins. I don't know. Do you guys have him? Yep. Yeah. And I remember one of the days in class, he brought up the fact that your faith is only as good as your facts. And at <laughs> first I'm like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> like I always thought like, no, you know, faith is just like. Faith is the not facts part. Yeah. Right? The not facts. <laughs> like what about Thomas, man? Didn't he get in trouble for this? Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. then like throughout this, he was just saying like, you know. This is something that encourages your faith, and and um, I brought this up at Middleview Preview Night a few weeks ago with our with uh, some incoming parents for Calvary oh, and, cool. and prospective parents, and you know you look at the facts coming out about evangelical kids, and it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, um, I think one of the newer and you know uh, my father in law always say, well Barna doesn't isn't always right, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know he's a PhD professor, so he's always skeptical. But let's say even they're only half right in a lot of their yeah. their data. They were saying seventy percent of evangelical youth leave the church seventy percent by their second year in college. Wow, and it was something like forty five percent by their second year in high school. Hmm. And another exit poll who kind of pulled evangelical youth that left asked what it was. And the number one thing was intellectual challenges to their faith. Hmm. So their inability to be able to conversate with fellow peers or professors at that next level. And that's just, you know, that's just crazy to me. And we probably both, we we probably, we have friends that are Biola trained that have walked away, you know, all of us. And so it's, it's just a scary thing that, 
you know, I, I, that we see, you know, uh, that these kids are going through and that if, if they're knowing that, then they're having tons of friends that are walking away from the church. That are exactly. Like, you know, yeah. and even people listen to this, you know, and people just are part of a church. You start to go through these doubt struggles and you have these, these times where you, you're getting so much messaging from the world that, that what you believe is intolerant, that what you believe is, mm-hmm. uh, like a fairy tale and just right. so much of that messaging that it starts to kind of infect your, your brain and it starts to infect the way that you think. And so, especially then if you're the person, if you're a person that's just taking in all of those messages from the world, but you're not inputting scripture or studying some of these kind of books that we're talking about, like, yeah, you're going right. to crumble. And mm-hmm. so you got to dig in, you probably dig in in prayer, dig in in scripture reading, but dig in, in yeah. some of this study. And I, I keep saying, I've said, read the, read the books. If you're an adult out there that struggles with this stuff, read the books that are written for teenagers. Yeah. I, right. I bet you'll understand them so much <laughs> better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And some of the, like, don't read some heavy text. Yeah, the that's Richard just, Swinburne or yeah, something. Yeah, that's you're gonna super know what's going hard. On. I loved, you know, at some point I started loving the, you know, the, um, Shoot! Oh my gosh, I'm brain. I'm having a, a brain struggle right here. My apologetics professor at oh JP like JP, scaling yeah. the secular Sorry, city. Yeah, exactly, yeah. scaling secular city by JP Moreland, and it's like. I Takes you 30 minutes to get through the first two pages. Exactly. Sentences. Yeah, you're like, what? It just happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember taking metaphysics with J.P. Moreland. Yeah. And he even told us, like, your first couple months is probably just going to be a fog. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is, a f- I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you got to read his book, Universals. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think if parents looked at those more. For themselves. Right. Right. <laughs> no. You know what, though? On an interesting yeah. note on that, I think sometimes I was a high school pastor here for several years. Right. And I'd always like kind of be fearful, like, oh, I don't want to um, give too much uh, knowledge or, or, or academic um, information to our kids and overwhelm them. But then it started hitting me. They're taking AP chemistry. Absolutely. And physics. Yeah. And uh, maths that I never even heard of. And uh, you're and right. They're being challenged on that level. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. In school. So why wouldn't we? Not they're challenge learning, them when yeah, it comes I mean, to theology. Here at Calvary, they're in Spanish, they're in advanced math. They're, I mean, they're doing some crazy stuff. And it's like, if you can get that, you're you're telling me you can't understand like the three principles of the cosmological argument. Yeah. Right. And most of the time the kids are shocked, like especially like your son's age in sixth grade, they get to learn these fancy theological names. And it's usually doctrine state that they already get. Absolutely. They just didn't know that there was this fancy, you know, right. you know, whatever you want to call it, hundred dollar word, uh, yes. you know, attached to it. And I'm like, you guys get this. Like, you know what special revelation is before you just didn't know that this and basically that's where you know i was super encouraged i'm like guys you you know you're gonna be able to have some great dinner conversations with your parents (laughs) and some deep and and sound amazing and the thing is you already knew most of this stuff like we just gotta we gotta help you polish it up a bit but Mm -hmm. yep exactly and i think that's what i mean by some of the like read the teenager books because it kind of takes you away from words like soteriology yep. and column cosmological argument yep. and gets you into just sort of some more straightforward like we can just talk about the holy spirit absolutely <laughs> okay. yeah. you know we don't need to put a big word on it no so, but yeah. yeah going back to your point though but yeah dealing you know doubt isn't a bad thing right you know i remember in, in even in the apologetics program i took an entire class with gary habermas on dealing with doubt and apologetics because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're dealing with these these big deep issues even for the, you know, the pastor and the apologist and the teacher, it's, there's like, wow, God, I'm really struggling with canonicity. Like, how are these other books left out? And this one in, and right. how did you, how did you magically have control of that? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's at, some tough stuff in there. There's yeah. some tough stuff. But the thing is, and, and I, I tell my kids, it's like, the doubt is fine. Like, mm-hmm. but, but not addressing the doubt is the problem. Right. Absolutely. Because I think part of those statistics are kids that didn't deal with that doubt mm-hmm. and they didn't wrestle intellectually with these issues. And um, learn sometimes that it's okay to not have an answer, mm-hmm. yeah. that we serve a, a, a really big God who's infinite and we have mm-hmm. finite minds. And sometimes you're not going to wrap your mind around the infinite. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If God, there's a quote I used to love, uh, if God were big enough to be understood, he, he would, would be, be too small to be worshiped. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Well, and also there's the thought too, that as we engage with uh, our friends, family who are skeptics right. and often it doesn't always go how we think it will go. And sometimes there's pushback or there's right. questions that we don't know how to answer, but 
as you even said earlier, the spirit is working on people in ways that we can't even understand or or get. Like I remember this story of this guy named William Fay, who's an evangelist now, and he said he had about ten different people present Christ to him in airplanes and different venues, and he would just know how to fillet him. He would just know yeah. exactly like the Achilles heel of how to just get to him. He goes, but I walked away from every one of those conversations. They probably thought they were defeated, but I walked away and I could not put Jesus out of my mind wow. because the spirit was just pursuing me. Absolutely. And so I think for us too, there's that fear of like, oh, we're going to get slammed. We don't know enough. Yep. And yet, as you were saying earlier, like the spirit's going with us. You never know no. how a failed conversation could actually be so much bigger in the spiritual realm. Absolutely. And I think that, yeah, that's where the Holy Spirit takes over. You know, you talk about, you look at um, the difference between kind of harvesters and sowers, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I think I forget the, the exact verse, but when Jesus was talking to, was it the woman by the well where she, where she goes back and tells everyone yep. and then they, and then they come back and then he tells his disciples, you're about to harvest what you did not sow. Yep. And what he was yeah. talking about was the fact that Jesus had already spent all this time evangelizing to her and she went back and got excited and told everyone come back. And then now all these people are coming, you know, to the understanding yeah. of Christ mm-hmm. and they get, and so, you know, I, I tell my kids this, like, you, you're just planting seeds, yeah. you know, and even if you get, sh- I'm like, I get shredded all the time. I've got some really bright friends on Facebook and I'm like, you know what? I don't have time to research this. I know there's an answer to <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. but I don't have six hours to go write a response to this. <laughs> right. Yep. And so it, it'll just, but I'm hoping that that, that, that seed is there. And I tell them, even you guys in here, there's many of you that walk away that may not have a relationship with the Lord mm-hmm. and I may never get to partake in that harvest, mm-hmm. but I know God has me here planting a seed. Yeah. And so, um, and you guys need to know, you might have a friend from a soccer team that moves away that you invested in and you never get to partake in that harvest, but it's okay because we're planting yep. seeds yep. Yep. and someone will get to rejoice in that, in that harvest when that person comes to Christ and, and definitely the angels rejoice, well, you know, with them, but we're not always going to see it, you know, mm-hmm. that's cool. And, um, and so that's, that's encouraging. Yeah. Greg Kokel, who you mentioned before with the book tactics. Yes. So K O U K L is Kokel. He also has a great article that you yeah, encourage people to Google called harvester versus gardener. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Um, and so it just kind of talks all about that, like, um, yeah. that concept and for him, how, he really felt like he was a much more of a gardener. It was like preparing people and like bringing these arguments and helping others and doing, you know, right. And, and to, but he had to say, okay, I'm not going to use that as an excuse to not ever share the gospel with people, but recognizing sure. my role in that. And so, uh, anyway, that, that no, we, it's we true. need both. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, great glory can't take credit for all those at harvest, right? Yeah, it's been people, exactly. it's been people <laughs> in their life and their family for, yeah. for years, maybe mm-hmm, who's yeah. been inviting them and working on them, praying for them, praying yep. for them. And then, you know, that's huge. He gets to be mm-hmm. stoked and he's the <laughs> harvest, right? No, yep. you, he's no the harvester. Yeah. Yep. You mentioned uh, Facebook and how you've had some engagement oh, on yeah. there. And I both, you know, this is great. I have both of you in the room right now because oh, both boy. of you are incredible <laughs> foodies. Yes. Oh, I'd even yeah. say barbecuers and you're both excited to I post a lot. I always get hungry when I'm looking at oh, both of gosh. your uh, posts <laughs> on there. But um, besides being a barbecuer, what, how do you engage with people on social media in ways about these, some of these hot topics of abortion, the resurrection of Christ. Like, is that something like if you initially engage, you take offline eventually, or I don't know, have you seen any victories or successes in that? I've, I've really held, learned to just hold my tongue now. Uh, (laughs) I'll be honest. I did early on a lot and I just, I just, I don't know if that's the best venue. It's, I don't know if anybody really changes their mind. I think people just keep going back with their best argument to support their view. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just think you lose, I don't know. I've seen friends that have moved away or whatever. And they're, do you ever notice that that's totally different online than mm-hmm. when you were just sitting in the room? It's like, we know yes. each other, like we right. love each other. Like, yep. but then there's, you lose the humanity with social media, yeah. you know? And I think that that makes it difficult when you're dealing with, I mean, worldview issues are core identity issues. Yeah. So whether people realize it or not, they're, they're taking super personal hits on even topics that are, you know, just corporal, you know, like just whatever, like moral issues like that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you understand that worldview issues are, you know, really central to somebody's core identity, then all of a sudden that topic might be hurting a lot more than you think. Yeah. Especially I think if you're looking for the slam, like if you're on your yeah. Facebook mm-hmm. account and you see somebody say something and you're like, I've got this, this is going to, this is going to get them, Drop you know? The mic, yeah. yeah. If you've got, if you think you've got that, that's when you've gone wrong. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah I think so too. Cause it's just, it's, it's brutal. So I do, 
I do think that it's here and there. I think you can have some conversations and I think you have to really be thoughtful about how you do that and be really willing to listen. And, you know, I think you can, it's going to take a lot of work though to to have the kind of online conversation that's actually helpful takes a lot more time and work and listening to them than it does than you think it will. So if you, it's not just going to be in the just the hard slam. So I think taking right. it offline as quickly as possible is best. But that's fascinating because even how social media is designed to work, we're just f- scrolling fast, right? Totally. And so you see something, you comment real quick, and you just keep going. You don't even yep. think about you know yep. thirty seconds later what you just wrote. Yeah. So that is difficult to pause. It is. Take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to sort of like it's a, sort of like what the Bible talks about, like our kids. Like don't exasperate your children. It's just like don't just look to try and like slam people right like that's not you, you could be turning people off to the gospel more likely than you are to turn them on to it that way mm-hmm. even wow. though you proved your you think you prove your point and mm-hmm. i've never really walked away with any post ever especially politically driven or ever where i've really felt great <laughs> like most of, you know i don't know about you guys but I know. i'm kind of like that was dumb like right. well, i should have just never i got sucked like, in yeah. i got sucked in and i'm my flesh took over and yeah. now and it's like i've never really walked away with it good and then i know for me i just don't have yeah. the time to like put a really good intellectual response to a lot of these right like i know some of these guys that are like they're like professional like bloggers like on there yeah, pretty much yeah, yeah yeah and it's like man i gotta teach like tomorrow like <laughs> yeah. five classes like i i don't have time to really give it and so it's like if i don't have the time to put into it then don't get it started yeah it's just kind of i've just i've just pulled more and more away from that and more towards foodie posts <laughs> yeah there you yeah. go i'm like i can Make show you a tri tip <laughs> that will pull both political parties together <laughs> into one lovely love feast but that other than that that's about it okay give me 15 seconds on how to make a delicious tri tip 15 oh, seconds man. Well, you got to start with a good rub. Okay. Yeah. And so that's, you know, if you're going to go, well, you do, you're from central kind of Cali a little bit, right? He's North, North, North. Well, Santa Cruz He's is Santa yeah, Cruz. That's weirdos. Is. They just don't. They are. They, but just, Santa Maria is not that far. We're all they vegetarians. eat mushrooms. They, they, heart, they yes. got themselves. Oh, man. They, they hug yes. trees. <laughs> exactly. You got the coexist sticker with the Prius in the parking exactly. lot. Exactly. I've actually literally been mushroom foraging in Santa Cruz. <laughs> This just took oh a weird turn in this conversation. Yeah, with a Biola friend that lives up there now. Anyway. Wow. Did you, <laughs> did you find any? Did you find any yeah. good ones? We cooked a, an entire meal with only found items. Wow. Hiking just up into the hills from the city. Wow. wow that's I know. That's pretty cool. It was actually pretty, table. It was pretty cool, actually. It, and he had some knowledge that we didn't have that was helpful. All right, but, try tip. Yeah, try <laughs> Try tip. Good rub. San Maria style rub. And then, yeah. you know what? I just got one of those Traeger smokers. Oh. You did? That's the highbrow. It is. It is. It's really, um, it's actually kind of cheating. Like yeah. my, all my all my NorCal friends would make fun of me, but I'm like, I live in SoCal and I don't have like an old oil drum in my 15 acre <laughs> yard to like just pull out and create, you know, man fire food. Mm-hmm. So like I have to kind of do a little bit city-fied. So um, I've done both, but you know, classic you got to go wood, wood fire, yes. Santa Maria style That's good. with a good rub. And uh, yeah, I, I love tri-tip. Oh. My family knows it. I cook it all the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Stater, Stater Brothers or where do you go to get your meat? You know, it varies what, depending on like if I have time in between picking my kids up from school where I'm at. Because sometimes I'll shop here even though I live in Corona. So sometimes oh, I'll yeah. hit the Albertsons up or whatever. And then uh, or if I'm, you know, something close to my house. So. Whatever the best deal is, I know the highest quality. Yep, <laughs> I've been like in Smart and Final lately. Like for my briscuits, I buy brisket at yeah. Smart and Final because yeah. you can get the because you can big get the huge ones. ones. Yeah, yeah, and that you can also get the whole. <laughs> like I like Smart and Final too. If you're gonna do big, yes, because you can get like the entire like like filet. You can yeah. get like the entire brisket, the entire top sirloin, like the whole like exactly. It's great. See, you are learning stuff. Here Talking now. apologetics and barbecue. <laughs> this is oh man, and great. I love to, to bite off more than I chew. I'm like I'm not a butcher, but I've literally went there and bought like the giant top sirloin and then cut off like baseball cuts. Oh there you yeah, there it was pretty good because there. Oh man, what was that? The place in downtown Fullerton when I was in <laughs> college at Biola, I used to live there, and we used to go there. All the time, and they used to do this baseball cut top sirloin. I don't know about that. What's the place over there? I'm trying to remember the name now. <laughs> I don't know. In downtown Fullerton, but anyway, that's cool. <laughs> love it. I love it. So yeah. you can uh, foodies. You can know that if you send your kids to Calvary Christian School, that they will get a great education in worldview, apologetics, and theology, but also in uh, good barbecue and good food <laughs> and good food and in good and really good food. Yeah, yeah. At least from Chris and not from Trentini. Um, so <laughs> no, that guy. Just I love that we just threw that in there. Uh, cheese, chicken nuggets, and French fries. <laughs> exactly. All day. 
so all right. Well, thanks so much, Chris, for being yeah, on. Great thanks for job. having me. Well done. Really Absolutely. good. And thanks for listening to the Calvary Life Podcast. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Life Podcast. If you enjoyed our show this week, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you want to learn more about Calvary Church or share any of your thoughts, check us out on our website at calvarylife.org or find us on one of our social media accounts. We're on Instagram at Calvary underscore church, Facebook at Calvary Church of Santa Ana, and Twitter at Calvary Life.